It's good to see everybody here tonight. Uh, I hope that uh, everyone will be edified by what I have to say tonight. We've entitled our lesson, Don't Be Like Korah. That was, that's what number 16 is about. It's about Korah and his followers. <coughs> so we're going to go through this chapter pretty fast because there's 50 verses in it. So we're going to go through it and we're going to make comments along as we go. And then at the end, we're going to do some takeaways. Uh, what we can learn from this chapter, how it relates to us today. Starting in verse 1, the Bible says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Pelath, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. So first of all, let's establish who these men are. Korah, says, is the son of Izhar, Izhar the son of Kohath, and Kohath the son of Levi. So Korah is a Levite, and I'm assuming he's a fourth generation Levite, and I'm assuming he's probably a great-grandson of Levi. So, uh, And then it says uh, he's one of the chosen of God to bear the vessels of the tabernacle, including the Ark of the Covenant, and to serve the congregation in the tabernacle. Then there's Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, who were sons of Reuben, the oldest of the sons of Israel. So Korah was like, you know, like I said, like a great-grandson of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram and On were like grandsons of Reuben, and they brought with them for a show of strength 250 men, leaders of the congregation, who were well-known and respected by the congregation. So let's see what they were up to. In verse 3 it says, They gathered together against Moses and Aaron, and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? <clears throat> okay, so we, we have here... <clears throat> is a mutiny of sorts against Moses and Aaron, challenging their leadership and especially the priesthood of Aaron. So obviously Korah, uh, which may be the leader of the Levites, I don't know if he is or not, he may just decide to take that role this time, but he's certainly the ringleader here in this rebellion. And I say rebellion because all these men and even the congregation are privy to it. And his assessment of the congregation being holy and the Lord being among them was a little overboard. These people had been so often disobedient and involved in sin that they were more on the side of God's displeasure than anything. So Korah says, you take too much on yourself. So what does he mean by that? Well, he thinks, as do the others, that Moses and Aaron are taking honor falsely from God that hadn't been given to them. And little do they realize that God called them to that honor and to hold their positions. And so Korah and the rest of his companions are going to find that out pretty soon. 
Now we're beginning to see what this is all about in verse 4. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show you who is his and who is holy and who will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all your company. Put fire in them and put incense in them and pour before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the holy one. You take too much upon yourselves, the sons of Levi. So we see Moses falls on his face when Korah says, you take too much on yourselves. And Moses falls on his face as a sign of humbleness. We know that Moses, Monty talked about it a couple of weeks ago, how Moses is construed as a weak, the meekest man on the face of the earth at that time. So, and Moses shows that throughout this, uh, throughout this chapter, that he is very meek and very humble. And so he begins to speak to Korah. And he tells Korah and his comrades, tomorrow we will all come before the Lord and let him show us whom he has chosen to be his and who he has chosen as the one who is holy. And the one he chooses, he will cause him to come near him. So Moses already knows, Moses already knows how this is going to play out. But rather than argue about it and keep things stirred up, he tells them, to take censers and put fire in them and to put incense on them and tomorrow we will see who the Lord chooses. And he throws what Korah said right back, in, right back at them. You take too much upon yourselves, the sons of Levi. And he's about to tell them why. In verse 8, he goes on to say, then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, to stand before the congregation to serve them, and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord." And what is Aaron that you complained against him? So now he turns his attention directly to the sons of Levi. And he tells them, because they seem to have forgotten how God has honored the whole tribe of Levi by setting them apart from the other tribes, drawing all of them near to him to do the work of the tabernacle and to serve the congregation. And he applies that this is no small thing. And it's not. For God to honor them and set them apart from the rest of the tribes. It's not a small thing. And they should be honored that God called all the sons of Levi near to him. But it doesn't seem to be enough for them. Korah wants more. He wants to be more powerful. To have more authority. So now he says you and all your company are gathered against the Lord to question his authority to choose who he has chosen to be the high priest. And so in verse 12, he goes on, and Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, we will not come up. Now, I don't know what's happened on. He seems like he's kind of disappeared maybe into the congregation. 
but we don't hear anything else about on throughout the rest of this chapter. So he says, is it a small thing? This is Nathan talking. He said, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Then Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. So now Moses <clears throat> summons Dathan and Abiram to come up so he can address their issues. But they won't come up. Instead, we see that they make false accusations against Moses, accusing him of bringing them out of the land of milk and honey, talk, speaking about Egypt, and and bringing them into the wilderness to kill them, he says, and to keep ruling over them. Furthermore, he says, you haven't brought us into that land of milk and honey that you have promised to. How soon these people forget why they were not able to enter into the land of milk and honey, into the promised land, is because of their unbelief in what God could do to bring them in to possess it. Understandably, Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken anything from them, nor have I caused them any harm. And Moses didn't need to tell the Lord that. Of course, the Lord already knew that. The Lord knows everything. In verse 16 and 17, i push the right button here. It says, And Moses said to Korah, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they as well as Aaron. Let each, of, each take his censer and put incense in it. And each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. And all he's doing here is reiterating what he's already told them before about bringing 250 censers with incense. It's 18. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to the, all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? So now it's the next day. It's the, it's the morning. And all 250 men took their censers and they put fire in them and laid incense on them alongside Aaron with his censer. And things are about to get real for everyone involved. Kor has gathered all the congregation against them in a show of strength. And now the same glory of the Lord that appeared to place Aaron in his high priest in Leviticus 9.23 now appeared to confirm that appointment. And now the Lord was ready to bring destruction on the whole congregation because of their rebellion. Did I just push a button? Okay, which one is it? Okay. I better put that down. <laughs> so, so the Lord's ready to bring destruction on the whole lot of them. And once again, 
Moses and Aaron fall on their faces because they're going to have to make intercession for the congregation to keep the Lord from destroying the whole congregation. And they beg the Lord not to destroy the whole congregation because of the sin of one man, Korah. Lord Korah is still the ringleader. He's the cause of all this uh, rebellion. So in verse 23, he says, So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed them. This is the new group that we're seeing in here now, the elders of Israel. And I read that there's like some 70 elders. Uh, and he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed of all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are vested by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry. For they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. So the Lord conceded not to destroy the whole congregation, thanks to Moses and Aaron. However, his wrath would still fall on the rebels. So the Lord commanded Moses to speak to the congregation, telling them to get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And so Moses, along with the elders of Israel, who followed for their own preservation, as well as a hope to convince the congregation to separate themselves from the evildoers, so they would not be destroyed. And so the congregation, we see, complied with Moses' command to get away from the tents of the perpetrators of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They continued to defy the Lord and Moses. Dathan and Abiram continued to stand in the door of their tents with their wives and sons and children. And apparently Korah had sent his wives and children away with the congregation because in number 26 and verse 11, the Bible says the children of Korah died not. So we see that Korah was standing there, but he didn't have his family with him. And as soon as Moses finished speaking, everything he said that would happen, happened. The earth opened up and swallowed them up and then covered them up. So we continue in verse 35. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eleazar, 
the son of Aaron the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar. Because they presented them before the Lord, therefore they are holy, and they shall be a sign of the children of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar, to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. And so, since the Lord destroyed the 250 men that burned incense before the Lord, it was, should have been pretty obvious uh, who the Lord, uh, that the Lord had not only, who the Lord had not only chosen to be high priest, but now had confirmed it as well when he destroyed all of those. And the censers they used to burn incense were now holy because they had been presented before the Lord in his glory. And the Lord commanded Moses to tell Eleazar to take all the censers and hammer them out and cover the altar with them to serve as a reminder to the children of Israel that no one that is not a descendant of Aaron should ever come near to the offer incense before the Lord as Korah and his companions did. And this is where I've got the title from the lesson. He didn't want anyone to become like Korah and his companions who rebelled against Moses and Aaron and the Lord. So we move on to verse 41. We'll finish out the chapter. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened, when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron, that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord spoke, spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And so Moses and Aaron had to fall on their faces again to make intercession for the congregation. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation. And make atonement for them, for wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly, and already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in, put in the incense and made atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living, so the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, for the plague had stopped. So we're thinking, what is it with these people? You, you would think by now they would have learned. And they would have figured out that it was the Lord who was doing these things and not Moses and Aaron. But they continue to blame Moses and Aaron for all the things that are happening to them. And the Lord is going to do something about that in chapter 17. So I guess you'll have to wait till the next, uh, next sermon to hear about that. In the meantime, we see that the Lord destroyed 14,700 people in the con congregation with the plague, besides those that died in the Korah incident. And so now we're going to 
we want to talk about some takeaways. What can we learn from this chapter? How does that relate to us today? Number one, don't be like Korah. Because we know what happened to Torah. We don't want to be like Korah. You know, Korah was a man with a lot of pride. He had a lot of ambition, but he channeled it in the wrong direction. He should have been using it for the job that the Lord had given him to do instead of trying to take over as leader of the tribe or the leader of the children of Israel. You know, God has chosen a leader today. He'd chosen a leader to be the head of the church, and that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He exalted him to sit on his right hand to be both Lord and King of his kingdom. He made him to be the only way that a person can go to be with the Father. He said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. God gave him all power and authority over his kingdom in heaven and on earth. In Matthew 28 and verse 18, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And God also appointed him the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 7 verse 14 it says, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood and it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So just as Aaron was the only one that could approach God in the holiest of holies, to make intercession and atonement for the sins of the children of Israel. Jesus is the only one that can approach God to make intercession for our sins. We should know by the example of Korah and his followers, it would be a futile act to challenge the authority of God has given to his son. And yet, you know, we see men and women all over the world challenging that authority today from the Pope all the way to women claiming to be reverends and leaders of their church when, they, when the Bible clearly says that that's not to be. And just like Cor and his companions, they will be destroyed for their rebellion and unbelief. You know, we also have leaders that have been appointed over our congregation. And the Bible tells us to follow them and not to rebel against them. The Lord does not like division in the church. And the only reason that we sh should not ever fo not follow them would be if they were trying to lead us in a direction that was different than the Lord's way. Number two, the ruin of others should be our warning. God does not put up with the foolishness of rebellion. We see time and time again the destruction of those who thought rebellion against the one in charge would get them what they wanted. They thought that a show of strength would give them an up, one up over the, the leader. But 
we see that rebelling against God is eternal suicide. We should seriously take into account what happened to the people here in number 16 and have a total fear and reverence of God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And we see warnings over and over in the scriptures. And we even find them in the New Testament. In Jude, verse 3, Jude says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unawares or unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, who has he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. <coughs> And then we find in Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And I want, to, I want to finish reading there. I meant to have Ian put this on the PowerPoint. But uh, verse 16 through 19. For who having heard rebelled, indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell, in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? That to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So we can see what we, we should be able to take the example that we see here uh, in number 16, and we should realize that we can't follow after that kind of behavior. We've got to live the holy life before the Lord or we will fall into the same condemnation 
and we can be destroyed because of unbelief and not be allowed to enter into the, that rest that we so muchly desire when this life is over. And so number three in our last uh, takeaway, does seeing something happen always produce belief? Well, apparently, in the case of the children of Israel, the answer would be a resounding no. You know, there's a saying I use every now and then when I'm a little skeptical about something. And I bet y'all have said it yourselves. Some of you probably have, maybe all of you have. And that is, I'll see it when I believe it. Or I'll believe it when I see it, I'm sorry. I said it just backwards. I'll believe it when I see it. Am I right? Have y'all said the same thing? I bet you have. So, why is it that the children of Israel had so much trouble believing after seeing all that they had seen? Was it because they just couldn't remember one miraculous event to the next? Was it because they were so self-centered and ungrateful for the things that God did for them? Always wanting more. Well, it certainly wasn't for the lack of astounding and unbelievable things that they were witness to. Imagine, if you will, play along with me. Imagine, if you will, that we are back with the children of Israel. We've witnessed the ten plagues that God has put upon Egypt, and Pharaoh has released us from bondage. And here we go, two million strong, heading across the desert toward the Red Sea. God is leading the way. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so that we can see where we're going. Finally, we reach the sea and we set up camp. And we realize, why did God lead us out here? We're out here. We have nowhere to go. What are we going to do? Are we going to... Are we going to build boats? Are you going to supply boats? We can go across. If we go that, go south, the sea gets wider. If we go north, we're backtracking. Well, God had a plan. God led them there on purpose because he was going to show them a miracle that he thought would get them to believe. As they settled in there at the Red Sea, God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he and his army would come after us. And soon 600 chariots were headed our way. And as Pharaoh and his army drew near, we could hear the rumble of the chariots coming toward us. What did we do? I bet we shook in our boots. If we had boots, of course, I guess we had sandals, so we shook in our sandals. But we cried out to the Lord, Lord, save us. And we told Moses, what'd you do? You lead us out here to die? Aren't there enough graves already in Egypt? So you lead us out here to die so we can have more graves? The angel of God moved and went behind us between us and the Egyptian. It set up a pillar of darkness on one side where the Egyptians were, where they could not see through and see what was going on. And a pillar of light on the other side so that we could see, but they couldn't. And Moses said, don't be afraid. Stand still 
and see the salvation of the Lord. And Moses lifted up his rod, and he stretched forth his hand over the sea, just as God had told him to do, and parted. The Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. And so we went into the midst of the sea on the dry land. And as we got into a safe distance, the Lord released the Egyptians. And the Egyptians pursued after us out in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen. Then the Lord looked down, and he troubled the Egyptians by taking off their chariot wheels so that they had difficulty going. And then the Lord told Moses to stretch out his hand again and make the waters recede back over the Egyptians. <clears throat> and he said they would be gone forever and no longer be a threat to the children of Israel. Do you think we would ever forget something like that? Would you forget anything like that? I wouldn't. I'd be on my mind the rest of my life. I'd be blown away by that. How could they forget that? And I'm not saying all of them did. Not all the children of Israel did. We know that Joshua and Caleb, when they came into the promised land, they were the only ones that came back and said, we can take this land. But the rest of the children of Israel didn't think they could take the land. Why? Because they saw these big men that looked like giants. But you would think that when they saw what God did to the Egyptian army, how he fought for them and destroyed their enemies, that they'd do, he could do the same thing. He'd already promised to them that land. And they should have known that he would follow through because God cannot lie. God has made a promise to us as well that if we obey him, that we believe him we will have the promised land fast forward to AD 33 imagine we're there with the Jews looking up at Jesus hanging on the cross what are we thinking wait what isn't this the guy that rode into town on a donkey yesterday or earlier and we laid out palm leaves palm trees in his path and we yelled praises saying hosanna blessed be him that cometh in the name of the lord the king of israel john 12 and verse 13 really we thought he was the king we were looking for but he's hanging on a cross he can't be the king we were looking for i don't think so or perhaps we're mocking him. We're saying he saved others. Let him save himself if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. Luke 23 and 35. Is that what we did? Did we mock him? Would we do that? Or maybe we loved the Lord. And it's just tearing us up inside, watching him die, knowing there's nothing we can do. You know, we've seen... Him do many miracles over the last few years. We saw him feed 5,000 
with a few loaves of bread and fishes. We saw him cast out demons. We saw him walk on water. We saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. And we just can't understand why he can't save himself. And then we watch him die. We remember him saying he would raise, he would rise the third day. But did, did we really believe that? He said he was going to be the king. He was going to be the king of Israel. And here he's, he's dead. Did we, really, did we really believe he's going to rise? Even the apostles didn't believe. They were devastated. Not really. They didn't really believe. Not until he appeared to them behind closed doors. And he renewed their belief. And Thomas, not being present at that moment, still wouldn't believe when the apostles told him he was there. Thomas pretty much said, I'll believe it when I see it. That's pretty much what he said. He wanted to thrust his hand into his side and see those nail prints in his hands. And then Jesus appears before them again and he tells Thomas this, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And we fast forward to right now. Folks, we are some of the people that Jesus told Thomas that we're blessed because even though we haven't seen all the miracles that were done in the days of Moses. The miracles that were done during the, the time of Jesus, we still believe. And so we ask, where does your faith come from? Where does your belief come from today? Why do we believe that there is a God and that Jesus is the Son of God? Because there are many people in the world today that don't believe in either one. You know, we look at the universe and the orderly nature of it all. The position of our planet in the universe and the way it is built to sustain life. And the creation of man and woman. And the complexity of all living things. And logic just screams at us that there's a supreme designer a God that is in control. And why does that not resonate to the rest of the world? Are people just ignorant? So why do we believe in the Bible and we believe in God? Why do we believe in the Son of God? Is it because our parents believed and they brought us to church and we began to believe by going to church? You know, many of us are lucky that we grew up in the church. So what do we, why do we continue to believe? What helps us to continue to believe? And that brings us to the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. To most people, it's just another book, a great story. But to us who believe, it is the history of the world as told by God from creation to our eternity. It is a road map to heaven. It is a manual for how to live life 
and how to find eternal life. It is a true story of a just God and a loving Savior who brought mercy and salvation to the world. But a person has to pick it up with an open mind and an open heart and read it and read it again and read it again and keep reading it for it to produce belief in the Son of God. And that's the thing. It was designed by God to produce belief in people like us who have not had the luxury of seeing all the miracles that took place. But you have to open that Bible and read it and study it and meditate on it. So if you're struggling with your faith, the answer lies inside the scriptures. You know, I could go on and on <laughs> about this, but I was, I'm already past my time. So I'm going to leave you with these scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. The King James Version says, Study to show yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And finally, Romans 10 and 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, that, so not only do we need to read the Bible again and again and again, we need to study it and meditate on it. We need to come to the assembly and hear it preached because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And we need to come every time the, that it's possible and hear it preached because it'll produce faith in us. The kind of faith that will be pleasing to God. We don't want to be destroyed for our unbelief like Korah and his companions were. The lesson is yours. If there's one here tonight that their back is up against their Red Sea and the world is pressing down on them. I'm not going to stand up here and, like Moses would and say, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But what I'm going to say is come to Jesus and he will save you and you will see and feel the salvation of the Lord. I'd ask you to come while we stand and sing if you have any reason to come. <clears throat>